if you most likely feel weak today in some ways, or you felt weak this semester, and you just need strength. And so I want to offer you strength in the form of the scriptures. And I, I want to submit to you that this hopefully will answer a question you've probably never asked. You've probably never asked the question, why do we sing? Why do we sing in churches? It's an odd thing. I mean, like, people usually don't get together and sing together. Um, they don't. Um, and we'll talk about that uh, and the oddity of that and what that looks like. But I want you to hear this, and then we'll jump, jump off from, jump from the Scripture and thinking about how this applies to us today. So, looking at how God sets us free to sing songs of glory. Alright, so we're on Exodus 13, the very end. We're going to read all of 14, and we're going to read the first two verses of 15. So if you've got your hand out in front of you, it's on there. If you've got your Bibles, you can look in there. It should be on the, on the screen as well. Hear the word. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Now who are the people? The people are the people who were enslaved for many, many years by the Egyptian king. And then God takes this baby miraculously and lets him be raised in the home of the most powerful man in the world, Pharaoh. And then this man, through God's circumstances and providence, is led out into the wilderness to be with his own people. So he's a Hebrew baby raised as an Egyptian and then spends 40 years back with his people. And then God speaks to him in a burning bush and leads him to confront the most powerful man in the world, Pharaoh, who is determined and dead set to kill his people. He says, you're going to go to the Pharaoh and tell him to let your people go, let my people go. He said, I'm your God, and you're going, to let, you're going to let these people go, Pharaoh. And so he goes to Pharaoh, and it doesn't go well. Uh, Moses is terrified to do so. It does not go well at all. Uh, in fact, nine times, no, ten times, he actually goes before Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, and asks for their freedom. And every time Pharaoh says no, but then Moses says, but if you don't, something bad's going to happen. And some really terrible things happen, plagues. And the very last thing that happens is the death of the firstborn. Every home in Egypt, there was a baby who died. Uh, unless you were covered by this sort of blood that you took, you took a lamb, you took a Passover offering, and you slayed that, and you took blood, and you covered your doorposts and your door, your entry to your home, and then the curse passed over you. And it only struck those who didn't have the blood. And so at that point, Pharaoh says, yes, you can go. And then this is where we are now in the story. Uh, there's this pillar of cloud, this, this visible manifestation of God who made them and is setting them free, leading them and with them. And then here's where we are in the story, Exodus 14. So then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of uh, Pi-Hahiroth, 
between Migdal and the sea in front of Baal Zephon. No idea how, I, I, yeah, that's, that's not the way that's pronounced. I sound like Cajun man here. Um, that's awful. I actually studied Hebrew in seminary. This is, this is dreadful. Okay. Um, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. So they're camping in front of these real historical places. That's what you need to know here. These are places that people that are reading this recognize. So they're camping. For Pharaoh, the ruler who let you go, will say to the people of Israel, they're wandering in the land, the wilderness has shut them in. He's going to be tricked by this. And four, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his army, and the Egyptians shall know that I'm the Lord. And they did so. Then the king, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this we've done that we let Israel go from serving us? This is, these are the people who were building their empire. They were building the pyramids. This is their labor supply, and without it, they have nothing. Okay, so they've let the people go, and they've changed their mind. They've questioned themselves. So uh, verse 6, so he, so he made ready his chariot and took his army with him. And he took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. See, there, there's that word there that, that Lord, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. He made it callous and, and, tra- and changed it. And Pharaoh had said, look, this isn't worth it keeping them around. People are dying. Uh, our, our world's being turned upside down. But then God takes this man who's already had a, a heart that's hardened towards him, and he hardens it further. And then he goes out defiantly, changing his mind and going after the people to enslave them again. Uh, and then nine, uh, the Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped at the sea uh, by those places again. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out to Egypt, or out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would be better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. They knew their life. They at least had some sort of safety there. But to step out into this unknown land was going to be hard. Maybe an unknown. Uh, and Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you, sh- you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. God sounds pretty grumpy there. That the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. Apparently they had some kind of agreement lined up before. Uh, Lord and Moses. And so the Lord says, do this. Uh, that the people may go through. Stretch out your hand and your staff and the sea's going to divide. And then he says, and I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. Now, you might not notice this if this is your first time reading it, but um, here you see that word glory repeated again. Um, I'm going to get heaviness. I'm going to get weightiness. 
It's in verse 17, and it's also back in, in verse uh, 4. Uh, he's, he's predicting, I'm going to get glory over, the, over these people by this action. And then, and then it recaps that in verse 17. And then again in 18, the Egyptians shall know that I'm the Lord when I've gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. That's the clear theme of why this is all happening, for God's glory. And then verse 19, when the angel, then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went beyond them. Uh, the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. So there's this cloud uh, coming between the host or the army of Egypt and the army of Israel. There's a cloud in the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near to the other all night. So all night long, there's protection here between the two peoples. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the seas back by the strong east wind all night, made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. Can you picture that? You've probably seen movies of this, uh, where, the, where these, these walls of water are standing up towards the sky, and people are moving through on dry land. That's what is happening. So the people of Israel went, verse 22, into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on the right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea, all through his horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of, of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the hosts or armies of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. And the conception or the concept is that they felt the glory of God, the weightiness of God. They feared him, so to speak. And the final two verses we'll read at night. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song of the Lord. And we're just going to read the first two lines. They said, I will sing the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he's thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. Grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Uh, may he add his blessing to it tonight as we discuss it, look at it. So the big idea here is that God wants his glory. That's the reason he created the whole world, and that's the reason he allowed things like pharaohs to enslave people that he loves. Ultimately, he's going to compose songs of his glory. And we're going to, in response to these songs, sing our own songs of glory to him. That's the big idea. The whole purpose of everything that's happening in our lives is to bring glorious words of God. He is, he is my salvation. That's what's happening in all of history. <coughs> Moving towards that. That's why we sing in church. 
uh, you know, there, it, I've always sort of answered, like, maybe you became a Christian in middle school or high school, or maybe even in college, and you sort of show up at this church where Jesus is supposed to be, and everyone takes up their hymnals or looks on a board like this and sings these songs, and you might find it to be quite odd that, that a group, a room full of people are standing and singing together in unison. That just doesn't happen. I mean, growing up, I sang maybe at birthday parties, the happy birthday song. Um, I saw choir performances, um, a fraternity or sorority party. There's singing going on sometimes. Um, yeah, it happens. Um, I don't know where you were. Um, I, was, I was watching Walking Dead, finished Walking Dead last night. Got on Twitter just to find out things I didn't understand about Walking Dead to see if it was trending. <laughs> trending, University of Oklahoma, 9.05 p.m. And then I clicked on, oh, University of Oklahoma, what's going on? Um, quickly saw the video, saw people I recognize on the video, uh, heard the words. Um, these are people I know. Um, I'm horrified, shocked, uh, disappointed. Uh, angry, um, sort of depressed, um, in a lot of, feeling a lot of things that you felt today, maybe the heaviness or the weightiness of that video that you've all probably seen and heard and have that song in your head. It is, it is awful and terrible. And I'd kind of, I'd planned out what I was going to say tonight before seeing this viral video and before all the protests in the actions that happened this morning off the day at OU. Uh, but it's sort of impeccable timing that we, when we have this bad song that's sort of been a thing in our lives, we have God's people seeing this, seeing this good song uh, and how that all relates together. Uh, what, what this, this video appeared to be this sort of drunken, immature, foolish, sort of evil mob of your peers singing hateful songs which glorify murder uh, based upon skin color uh, and exclude people solely based on skin color, a song which casually uses the one word in our culture that's arguably the most offensive word one could possibly use in a light way. And this is, this is what's happening on your computer screens. Um, nine seconds, which just takes apart everything that fraternity was for decades and decades and decades. Um, and, and so that's what we've experienced. We've seen that. That's been a huge deal on our campus. And tonight, this is what we just read here is really something maybe we've heard before, seen movies about it, but it's really the climax of the whole Old Testament. It's the whole Freedom Project it's the biggest deal you could look at of God actually leading slaves free and they're terrified, they're scared for good reason and they don't know if they can make it in freedom and, and, and they, they, they look to Moses and they're concerned for their lives and Moses tells them to trust God. He's going he's gonna to work it out. And all semester we've looked at how God sets us free from, from things that we fear. And our lives are, are, are full of things that we fear uh, and people. Um, you know, like, we are people to be feared sometimes. Um, 
racism and hatred is not isolated to a few people in that video. It lives in our hearts. Uh, it's in all of us. Uh, and we all are those, can be those kind of people. And I, I was talking to some of my friends who are in their 30s and drive minivans, like those are my people. Um, and um, we were talking about how, man, I'm so glad YouTube didn't exist when I was in college. Um, that no one had a camera in my face when I was doing foolish things. Um, and we all could, could look at ourselves and, and think, man, I'm grateful that I'm not on a video that's viral and, and people are seeing my foolishness and my hatred. Well, um, my, my man Rick Grimes, who if, you know, if you're not a familiar um, watcher of The Walking Dead, Rick Grimes is unquestionably the main character. Um, on two episodes ago, which I saw again last night, um, two episodes ago in the story, um, Rick Grimes is on video uh, being interviewed, which is strange because it's a zombie apocalypse. And on this, on this video, this is not spoiling anything, so if you haven't seen the episode, no problem. Um, he says to the lady interviewing, he says, you should keep your gates closed. It's all about survival now at any cost. People are always looking for an angle, looking to play on your weakness. They measure you by what they can take from you by how they can use you to live. And I feel like that is, though that's in a zombie apocalypse, that's the world in which we live in. People are looking to use us to see how they can live. They want to use you to live, and maybe you want to take from others so you can live. Uh, How many of you have used people you've been in a relationship with? Um, For you, not for them. Uh, We've been there. Uh, We want to use our professors, so to speak, to get us somewhere. We want to use people in our classes to get us somewhere that we want to go. Uh, We're all born in this world, and we all sort of behave that way. And some of us are in really lawless in that. Some of us are in, you know, more moral ways of doing that, but we all do that. Rick also says in uh, three episodes ago, it says, uh, and there's sort of a sad episode, and they're lamenting, man, this is, we got to raise kids in this world. And they say, uh, you know, I, I used to feel bad for the children. But as a child, you adapt to your world. You grow up in it, and it's your normal. And for, for an adult to be sort of taken in this apocalyptic world where you, you, for 35 years you've known what life is like and to have this sort of expectation of what it's going to be like, and now there are people trying to eat you that are dead, and then the people that are alive are worse than the, than the dead people. Um, and it is awful. But for a person who's born into that, that's their normal. And so they don't notice it really as much or as shockingly as someone who'd always known the previous world would know. So our normal, and you, this is maybe shocking, and maybe it takes a video to really get you to, get you to see this, but the normal is that people use <laughs> each other. And we marginalize others, and we take advantage of them. And that's exactly what God wants to free us from, is using other people. And he wants us to free them, um, free us, to give life to people, to give salvation to people. Um, the movie Crash, if, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's one, it won Best Picture, and, it, and it's sort of an uh, Oscar for Best Picture. It's, its genius was in its assertion and portrayal that in reality every person has racism. Every person in one way or another is subtly influenced and unaware of it. We're all sort of unaware of how we use people and we marginalize people. Um, In James, in the Bible, it says, 
that we bless our Lord and Father. Speaking of Christians, uh, with our mouth we bless our Lord and Father, and also with our mouth we curse people who are made in the image of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. We're not made to function that way. We're made to be a blessing and not pour forth cursings about people who are in the image of God. We're made to give life and not death. And so the why, you know, sort of ask yourself, well, why are people like this? Why can I be like this? Why are people um, on a bus chanting such things? Why have we been used and, and hurt by people? And we've experienced that. And why have we hurt and used other people? Well, I think these words sum it up. Let me read these to you. It's brief. Two, all students, faculty, and staff, to those who have misused their free speech in such a reprehensible way, I have a message for you. You're disgraceful. Did y'all see that video? Oh, yeah. Pull it up on Twitter, and that is harrowing to see the president of your university speaking at a protest and saying, you are disgraceful, or you are a disgrace. Now, doesn't that make the hair on the back of your hair or the back of your ears or your neck or wherever weird places you have hair? When you're 35, you have more weird hair than when you're 18. Um, but, but you get chills thinking about your leader looking at you. This is a revered figure in Oklahoma. This is probably the greatest man in Oklahoma right now. Okay, David Bourne looking at you and saying, you are disgraceful. He says, you have violated everything we stand for. You should not have the privilege of calling yourself Sooners. This is what he said. Real Sooners are not racist. Real Sooners are not bigots. Real Sooners believe in equal opportunity. Real Sooners treat people with respect. Real Sooners love each other and take care of each other like family members. You're not real Sooners. You're a disgrace. That's what President Debo said this morning. All right? He says, effective immediately, all ties and affiliations between the university and this local chapter are thereby severed. I direct that the house be closed. All members remove their personal belongings from the house by midnight tomorrow. Those needing to make special arrangements, blah, blah, blah. Um, all of us will redouble our efforts to create the strongest sense of family community. We vow to be an example of the entire country to how, on how we deal with this issue. There's going to be zero tolerance for racism everywhere in our nation. Okay, so that's what David Bourne said to you, to me, and to everyone in Oklahoma and whoever's listening in the world. He said to individuals who are your age, students here at OU, you are disgraceful. You have no business calling yourself a sooner. And that terrifies each of us, doesn't it? We're glad that he said that, aren't we? We're glad that he came down hard on the people who did this. We're glad that he didn't, shoot, I mean, like, not deal with it. We're glad he dealt with it. But we fear, what if those words were about me? 
What if I were not in this position, but I were in their position? What if, what if I was having that said about me? I think when you think about the why of why they're chanting this on the bus, the very thing that drives us to fear that is the reason why they're chanting in the first place. They want to be in, okay? This is their normal. This, this is my, my social setting is that we sing these songs and sort of like not singing those songs is bucking the societal norms and can exclude me and cause me to be an outsider. I'm in this fraternity. I'm in this group. And this is it. It's extremely heroic for someone to take the video and, and post it and send it in because immediately you're going to be excluded. Um, the end thing is that the, the peer pressure we feel in all kinds of things we all want to be in. We, as a nation, buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't really care about. That's sort of the old, old expression. And that's, that's our way. We want to be in. We, and, some, and so maybe it's you're, you're trying to be a hipster, you're trying to be an athlete, you're trying to be a nerd, whatever you want to be. Like We find these little ways of, of relating and being in, and we try to impress people. We desire to be in. None of us really believe, hope, that the SAEs are very capable of lynching people or that they're demonic racist, um, and, and, but they've got to be accountable for what they said on the video. Um, I don't imagine most of them are capable of the things they're talking about, but they're scared 18 and 22 year olds, and we can all identify with that. They all want to be in. We're all like that. And so what do you offer someone like that? who's blown up their future in some, in some situations. They maybe torpedoed their whole life at OU. They're homeless. Um, you speak into their slavery. You speak into their bondage. Their bondage to feeling in. And we all can speak to ourselves in that way. We all got to preach this gospel to ourselves. And we give them this. We give them a God like this that we just read about. A God who brings salvation. Something to sing about. Freedom from our fear. A God who could say, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, and who actually does it. Jesus on the cross prays for those who have stripped him naked and put him on a cross and says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is our God. He's the example of all, for all of us of what grace is like. And you know one of the Roman centurions who put him on the cross and gambled for his garments saw that there is no, no man like this, and there's no God like this. And he says, behold, this is it. It changed his life. He saw God, and he sort of breaks into, behold, the Son of God. This is in Mark 15. You can look it up. That's who our God is. He wows us with salvation. He wows us with grace. Um, uh, also, Galatians 3 uh, hear this one, Galatians three thirteen through 14, if you're taking notes. Um, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So it's written, curses everyone who hangs on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Jesus became a curse so that we didn't have to hang on a tree and be cursed. What we have earned our whole lives in our fear and our insecurity and our outright rebellion against God and our using the people is strictly hell. Uh, we've all deserved a curse, according to the Bible, because the one who made us, the one who sang us into creation, the one who made you, you rebel against, and I rebel against. 
And then we take people who are in the image of this God who graciously made us, and we disavow their personhood. We hate them. Uh, we, we diminish people. And it's all directly an attack on God himself. And, and to people like that, he says this, My grace is sufficient for you, but power is made weak in your weakness. And then Paul, who experienced that as a murderer, someone who had, who had hated people who were different than him in his race, he was that guy. And God took him and saved him, forgave him. And he says, I've experienced that. I've experienced knowing that I'm the scum of the earth. No one should love me, but God loved me and pursued me to the uttermost, and he's never going to let me go. That's what Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, experienced. Jesus tracked him down, though Paul himself was a murderer. God has sort of designed your life to be a musical in which every day you experience that salvation, you experience the presence of that God, and you burst into song. (laughs) Now, I hate musicals, but, but God has made music, like our lives to be musicals. We're created to burst out into thankful songs toward God. We're to encounter Him in a way in which we see our great need and we see Him as our only hope of salvation. We are, in, we are made and formed to be led to a Red Sea where there's an army tra- tracking us and about to devour us and kill us. And our only hope is to cry out to God, and have a Moses part the Red Sea for us. And we do have a Moses, someone better than Moses. We've got Jesus who actually took on all of our racism, hatred, anger, sin on himself and died for it so we don't have to bear that curse. And we, by faith in him, can have his record of righteousness. And we can be just as righteous as Jesus is, just as if we'd never sinned. By faith we can. So those letters... Um, today, if you saw the picture on Twitter also, if you've been following social media today, I mean, you, you've also noticed everyone in the world is outraged and has never committed any kind of errors or, or you know, done anything wrong, and they're outraged by this whole thing. Well, in their outrage, like, people are piling on SAE, and, like, one of the great photos of the day was a, was a maintenance guy taking the letters off the house. You want to see that one? Carrying the letters. Okay, so, so that's a great example of the gospel. Our house is cursed by what we've done. Our letters are no good anymore. We have no standing with God according to our letters. What Jesus does is he takes our letters, he takes S-A-E on him, right? He dies for that so that we can have his letters, some Greek letters that are better than S-A-E. You know, Christos, they'll put Christ on us, okay? Christos is on us. Kurios, the Lord, is on us by faith. And so what what happens is those letters are taken and thrown away upon the cross, upon Jesus, who is cursed, and his letters are upon us. He sets how he sets us free. It's a very unlikely story that God would relate to somebody like us and save us. We're slaves to sin, and God takes us out of that, out of our lostness, our brokenness, our hopelessness, our uncertainty, and our doom. And he sets us free from that through a better Moses, through Jesus. That's the story. That's what we're singing about. And so uh, I'll, I'll entertain any questions you guys have tonight um, after we sing. But I'd love to, uh, Baber and, and Tom, you're going to come up and lead us in songs.